And he, he sent me um, his information, and he had called him Zach Backflip. And so, and then he gave me his last name, and I looked him up, and that's all I know about him is that I went on Instagram, and there's all these videos, and you do a fantastic backflip, and then you just recently <laughs> learned a front flip, and it's really awesome, and that's about what I know, and that you're a personal trainer, so you're very fit, and he is fit, he's doing flips, and I think he has a couple of years, and this is Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Ah, thank you, everybody, for being here today. Um, <clears throat> very grateful for Bolden specifically. This is by far and away my home group. I go to the noon meeting as much as I possibly can. And the first time I got sober, this is where I showed up. The second time I got sober, I saw all the same faces and I knew that I was home. And it's been been awesome ever since. So uh, I thought about like writing this down and kind of like scripting it out, but uh, I decided just to kind of go from the heart. It's my story. I think I know it the best. Uh, so I guess we'll start from the beginning. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, California, uh, to my father, who is born in Nigeria. Very very strict man. Uh, my mother who is white, I just say that um, I mentioned the race because that was the first thing that I guess I, I was attracted to in terms of feeling different from other people. And I realized that at a very young age, for some reason, I, I always felt a little bit different. Um, but yeah, so we were, was born in Los Angeles. Uh, we lived there for about four years. And then we decided to moved to Irvine. So we moved out of you know, kind of a rougher part of town into the suburbs. And that's kind of, I think, where I started to realize things were different. I, I say I had the first like major event in my life. Uh, when I was about five years old, my parents were going through some tough times and they had me go move by myself to, to England. So I moved to England to live with my aunt and uncle for about uh, nine months, who I'm actually going to see next week, which I can't wait. Uh, but... I remember that being just kind of weird, just being shipped away when you're five years old uh, to go live in England and, you know, just feeling different from all the kids there. I'm this American kid. I mean, kids are pretty, pretty welcoming for the most part, but it was still just kind of weird. Uh, when I came back, uh, my parents were still going through some tough times. Um, they were also dealing with my older brother's issue with this disease. He has the same disease as well. He's been sober for over 26 years now, uh, by the grace of God. But, you know, that was just a tough time for my family. And uh, it ended with when I was, I think about six years old, I woke up one day and my mom was gone. She had moved to Austin. Uh, and looking back, that was the first time I always reacted to things differently because I had a really close connection with my mom. But when she left, I actually I just remember being kind of confused, but I wasn't you would think that would like really, really affect a young child. But that was when I learned how I learned my defense mechanism, which I I cultivated at that very young age, which was to just be really happy and positive. And I learned that acting like that and acting like everything was good uh, 
would just keep people at arm's length. And I, then I didn't have to deal with anything. If I just smiled and was really positive and happy about it, I didn't have to deal with anything. Um, ironically, a, f- a few weeks after she left, I had to give away my dog. And that that's when the emotions came out of me. That was like, my dog was my best friend. Anytime my parents were fighting uh, or doing anything, I would go lay down with my dog, Taffy. And we had to give away my dog. and. That was like, I'd say that was like one of the only times I ever really felt emotion from that point until sobriety. I think I, that was such a painful moment for me. I think I decided that I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel, I don't like feeling and I would stay away from feeling um, for the rest of my life. Like I was not going to go through that anymore. Uh, So yeah, my mom moved out here, was very confused. Growing up in an all-white neighborhood kind of just made me feel a little bit different, Um, like I said. So it was a very young age where I already felt like those feelings that I thought I was so special and unique for having, but I realized that so many people in these rooms uh, share that same affliction, that I have a tribe of people that have gone through the same thing. Um, So I guess I'll skip forward to the first time I discovered uh, drinking. And that was my, my freshman year of, of high school. So freshman year of high school, uh, we, we got drunk, we, got, we drank Coronas. Of course I remember what I drank. Uh, we drank Coronas and White Russians. And they, they were delicious. They were so delicious. And uh, I remember all the seniors were there and Nelly came on and I was rapping all the words to Nelly. And I just felt like I was so cool. Nelly was awesome, yeah. I felt like I was so cool. I, I knew all the words and they thought I was awesome. And uh, it was great, it was, it was great. I mean, it was like, that was, that was the night. Like I remember it was a great night. Uh, anyways, the night continues, we decide to go get some more alcohol. And one of my friend's older brothers had a, a fake ID. And so we go get more alcohol. We're walking back. One of my buddies carrying a silver Coors light box. And, you know, we're these spindly little kids. Of course, a police officer pulls us over. Uh, so the first time that I drank, I got cited. I got arrested and cited. They released me to, to the parents of the, the people that I was staying with. Uh, and... So I already had developed that attitude that I was different. And I said something to the officer like, this is because I'm black, right? And he got really pissed off. He got really pissed off. And like that, that was, but that was the attitude, you know? And that's like this sort of thing that just kept me going. It wasn't that I was, I had broken a law. I was 14 years old. I had broken a law. It had nothing to do with my race, but that was, you'll see, like, this is a common thread that I'll go back to is like, I'm different, I'm special, um, the rules don't necessarily apply to me. Um, so, of course I lied to my parents. I said that it was my, my uh, friend's older brother who was buying the alcohol and I had nothing to do with it. So, um, didn't stop drinking there. Uh, I had associated, I had a large friend group in high school. We, my friends called themselves the raging alcoholics. Uh, we drank in excess. Like I'm talking to other people that drank in high school and I didn't realize like how, how bad we drank, you know, and there's actually five of us that are sober from our group, 
three people have died. You know, it's it, like we thought it was all fun and games, you know, but uh, I guess I remember the first time that I blacked out with this group. Uh, I think I chugged like a, a magnum of wine. I was just like, oh, it's just wine. Like nothing's going to happen. Uh, it wasn't all bad. I think it, like I hooked up with somebody, you know, I, th- I think I thought it was awesome. You know, <laughs> these are these are the good times, you know, um, high school was characterized by just, you know, periodic blackouts. But being that the people I associated with were drinking so heavily, it didn't seem so aberrant. There were a few times, though, where I took it really, really, really far. And, like, I'm the type of person that can be blacked out and and be acting out in the world. And it does – you don't – like, I always was envious of the people that would get blacked out and throw up and, like, pass out because then you don't do shit, you know. But me, like, I'm going to fuck some shit up. That's just, like, what I would do. And I remember just having a lot of regretful mornings, you know, just like, what did I do? And then hearing the people tell me what I did. Um, but I still didn't think I had a problem. Um, I, my brother was very open about his struggles. And I, I, I was very adamant that that would not be me. I was very adamant. I was like, that will not be me. Actually, a lot of my friends did hard drugs in high school and I abstained because I I said, you know, my brother had an issue. Like, I probably shouldn't do this. So I thought I was good in that regard. Um, But I remember I got arrested for marijuana possession my junior year and I had to go to AA meetings. And I remember the very first meeting that I went to, there was a man that shared and he said, I'm 40 years old and alcohol is my girlfriend. And I, I remember judging him so hard, thinking like, what a fucking loser. Like, what a loser. Like, I'm so much better than this man. That will never be me. And I just, I've completely wrote it off. I just said, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't even believe that this guy is here, you know? And that's like, like I said, that judgment, I didn't realize how much that kept me away from my fellows, you know, until, until a lot later down the line. Uh, so yeah, drinking in high school, just doing the damn thing. Eventually, uh, I went to college at UC Davis. I got a football scholarship. Um, luckily that was one thing that I was good at, you know, the, the sports have always been my escape. Um, it's how I release a lot of that negative energy. So, College again. This is a place where you can drink and getting fucked up is not. It's not seen as weird, you know. Like, and even still, like then, I would I would still be the one that took it further. The very first night that I went out with my football team to get drunk, I ended up passing out and getting drawn all over my face, <laughs> and almost got in a fight with the with my teammate the next day. Like he took pictures and I like went on his computer and anyways, uh, yeah, that was the very first night, you know? And that's just like, that. that's just, that was just my story. Especially it was just these repeated situations where I don't remember, I like, I'm so quick to forget the pain of an embarrassment of the things that I did. You know, and I think the first time that I actually considered doing that, I considered that maybe I'm an alcoholic. It, it took a lot of blackouts and a lot of doing a lot of bad things. But the very first time that I actually considered it, I think I was about 19 or 20. 
And same story, you know, I blacked out. Uh, I think we were playing Edwards 40 hands. Of course, I'm going to win that game. You, you tape two 40s to your hand and whoever drinks them first wins. So I won that game very easily. Uh, blacked out. I had a girlfriend at the time. Went to a party. Uh, I woke up bruised, battered. I had no idea what happened. My friend comes in and tells me, he's like, you're you're an asshole. Like you you made out with five different women last night, and I was like, "There's no there's no way that's possible." I was there's no way that's possible, and it was true. That was true. Uh, I was really embarrassed. Somehow, my girlfriend stayed with me. Uh, that was the first time that I considered AA. I looked up a meeting, but I never went. You know, and so. I didn't have any punishments for a lot of these things, you know. Um, I guess the first time that I had a punishment for alcohol, uh, again, it, it was on my 21st birthday. So I didn't think anything of it, you know. I could easily just forget this. And it's like, it was weird. Recently, I was looking at uh, my mugshots online and I've been arrested like 11 times. And every single time that I've been arrested, I've been drunk. It, there's no other I don't I don't get parking tickets I don't do that sort of shit I go to jail blacked out okay uh, so yeah the first time I had my the first punishment that I had uh, was on my 21st birthday the night previous my friends and I the raging alcoholics because we thought we were so awesome uh, I drank 27 drinks and now I thought I was so awesome for that and somehow I drank the next night on my 21st birthday. Uh, there was a big fight that happened. Uh, I'm for some reason sometimes when I'm drunk I like to like try to make peace. So anyways, the cops came and like I was trying to explain everything. I don't remember any of this. I was trying to explain to the police like this is what happened, like blah blah blah, and they're like, just sit down. Like we don't need you. Like just get away. And uh, I kept trying to come back, and my my friend, who's a linebacker on my football team, like tried to grab me, and I like shed him, and like went back up to him. They're like, "You're done, buddy." Uh, so I got arrested on my 21st birthday. Uh, got arrested on my 21st birthday, and uh, I got out. Of, I don't. I barely remember this, but I got out of jail, and my friend obviously knew. My friends knew that I was in jail, so they came to pick me up. And I just thought that my friend happened to drive by. He loves telling this story. He's sober now too. And I got out and I was like, oh man, you're driving by, like this is awesome. Like, so he picked me up. But while I was in jail, I, like I said, I, I have like a whole nother level. You know, I'm mouthing off to these cops. I tried to break out of my jail cell, like by running and using brute force. I had bruises all over my body. Like, it's, I mean, it's so crazy to talk about this now in hindsight, but it's like so easily I forget or so easily I justify this behavior, you know, it's my 21st birthday, whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was my my first punishment, so to speak. But I don't even think it was really a punishment. I think I paid like 150 bucks or something. I had to get some I bruised my I battered myself in jail. I beat myself <laughs> and need the police to beat me. Uh so let's see. Uh, yeah, so I graduated from college and I decided to move out to San Francisco. Um, at that point in time, I, I'd say I was like pretty focused. I hadn't, I wouldn't say I developed like a daily drinking habit. I would say it was under control. I smoked weed every day. Um, 
but I was focused on my career. I wanted to be a sports agent. I got an internship with an NFL sports agent, and then I was working in fine dining and restaurants at night. And uh, everything was going pretty well. Um, the grind was good. Uh, I had an awesome girlfriend, and that was when she ended up cheating on me. And I don't. I I did never develop the tool set to to deal with life. So my solution in that case was alcohol. And I'd say when I was about 22, that's when every single night buying a pint of Jameson. That was that was the standard. You know, I'd have a pint every single night, uh, sometimes more. And I just I still maintain face to the outside world. It was something that I did in secrecy and private. I'd still go out with people, you know, but I'd oftentimes leave to go drink by myself. Uh, but that was just something that I did on my own and like I never wanted to think about it being an issue because I still showed up. Um, I still showed up at work. I still showed up at the gym. Uh, the gym was primarily, the focus of the gym was to to help myself appear normal to the outside world. That was what I was obsessed with. And uh, let's see here. So yeah, that's when the daily drinking started. Um, that just continued to get worse and worse. And it's when other drugs got involved. I won't talk a lot about that um, because this is AA, but I will just say the drug, it was it was crack. That's when things got really bad. Um, that's when the shame compounded and I hated every single day of my life. It felt like my life was like the Truman Show where the same thing would happen every single day um, and I couldn't stop it. I wanted to stop. Uh, there were so many days that I, I quit. I quit so many times, but a few days later, I would start up again. I made so many commitments to myself that this is the last time that I'm gonna do this and then it'd be back at it again. Um, I never experienced AA in San Francisco until this year, actually, when I visited. Um, but I, I was just so ashamed and I had so much pain in my heart and I still would try to help people so much. I, I, I had a huge resentment against my father um, just for a painful upbringing. I lent him thousands of dollars when I was in the depth of my addiction. So that was just something that I was obsessed with. I've never really known my father and I always was obsessed with like the fact, like if I, if I could get to know him, I'd get to know myself better. You know, these were all just solutions that I had to the issue that I had. Um, so I guess I'll talk about some of my solutions while I was still using was to get a second job. So I remember there was one time I was, I was serving a restaurant at lunch. I would bike across town and manage a restaurant till about two in the morning, buy drugs, alcohol, do that, wake up at nine in the morning, do it again. I don't know how I did that. I got promoted, somehow I got promoted. Like I said, I don't know how I maintained face, but that was, that was my obsession was just appearing okay to the, to the, to the real world, appearing like the happiest guy in the world. Um, and that was just how I kept people at length. So I got promoted to uh, general manager. That was another solution was that, you know, if I take on this, a ton of responsibility and stress, 
I won't want to use drugs and alcohol. Um, at my, at the time I really thought, I truly believed like this would be the solution. You know, like I have this awesome job. Everybody's going to think I'm awesome. That way I won't want to drink and drug. Uh, obviously you can guess what happened. It made it a lot worse. It made it a lot worse and a lot more painful. I was a lot more alone. I didn't have the time to date. I was working 60, 70 hours a week and the rest of my hours were dedicated to drugs and alcohol and being alone. Um, so I guess in 2014, I, this was at the end of my tenure as the, as the GM there, I decided that I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, every day felt like it was going to be the last day. Like I just felt like I was skating on thin ice. Uh, I don't know how I never got arrested. Thank God I didn't have a car in San Francisco. I've, I've wrecked bikes. I've wrecked bikes, like, drunk, <laughs> you know? So thank God I didn't have a car out there. Uh, yeah, somehow I didn't get arrested. Um, but I, yeah, so I just kind of hit a breaking point where I just knew that I couldn't, I couldn't be out there any longer. And uh, so I talked to my mother and my brother who live out here and eventually decided to, to move out here. Uh, but the important, I guess the important point with how I explained to them, I did not tell them the truth about everything. I didn't tell them about the drinking. I didn't tell them about the drug use. I just told them that I was depressed, that I was sad and that I needed to separate myself. And I would, I was going to stop drinking. I was going to go to AA just because like, I thought it would be good for me. That's what I told them when I moved out here. And so I did that. I came out here. Um, I got sober for about a month. Um, I didn't get a sponsor. I used AA as a place to come and like, you know, think of these awesome metaphors. So I, so people would laugh at the meetings and say like, you know, really inspirational things. Um, that was my focus. I think one of the first meetings that I went to, I talked to somebody and he's, he asked me like, do you wake up in the middle of the night with the shakes and like have vodka in your bed. And I was like, no. And, I, and so I instantly was like, Oh, I'm not an alcoholic then. Sweet. Uh, which is not the case. I think the only reason why I didn't have the shakes is because I, I exercised in the daytime. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think I, I had some sort of balance, but, uh, regardless, I, anything that anybody, I was looking for the one reason to get myself out of those rooms. So I, Everything started to come back. I had I had about a month sober. I got an awesome job. I got a truck. I started managing restaurants again. Things were going great. Uh, and then I blew out my knee. I tore my ACL and that kind of just devastated me. That just threw me off my flow. And again, I don't, I did not have the tools to respond to life. Pain, emotional pain, physical pain, it doesn't matter. I did not have the tools to deal with pain and suffering. Uh, so I started drinking again. Uh, we had a Texas bar and nightclub association event at the hotel that I was managing and they allowed all these liquor vendors to bring in tons of bottles of liquor and per TABC rules, they're not allowed to take them away. So I, I basically inherited hundreds of bottles of liquor and I was told not to put them on inventory. So they didn't exist. 
So that is not good for any alcoholic, as you can assume. So I'm drinking top shelf shit, like, I, and I like brown water. So like, I'm drinking Basil Hayden, Booker's every night while I'm closing down. I just and one night uh, I got really drunk and was on my way. Actually, I did purchase drugs. I don't remember this, uh, but. The police got called. There was somebody driving the wrong way down Ben White, a black truck. That was my truck. Uh, luckily, nothing happened there. I got hit by another drunk driver driving on the right. I was driving on the right side of the street then at this point. Uh, but I don't remember this. I don't remember this happening. Uh, I remember waking up the next day. I had. I luckily was wearing a seatbelt, so I had bruises from where the seatbelt had constricted me. Uh, but I didn't remember. Um, so that was that was when I the first time that I came to Bolden, that I came here, and like I said earlier, I remember seeing those faces that I would see later down the line because this was not the end. This was not the end of the road for me. I remember seeing Chris. Um, I think he was newly sober around that time, and uh, I like semi bought into the program at that point in time. I semi bought into it. Um, I got a sponsor, which I, I just didn't jive with. Um, I went to IOP, but sobriety was not the most important thing in my life. It was definitely second fiddle. Uh, I was still of the mindset that I can figure this out. You know, I will figure out another way to, to go back to my ways. So I went to therapy, um, I stayed sober. I think the longest time I stayed sober was about three months. Every three months, I'd like go get wasted. And then eventually, uh, I remember having this chat with my mom. And I was saying like how I was going to be the, I was going to be the exception to the rule. And I remember using Anthony Bourdain as, as, as the, the, the guy that I was going to be because he apparently had had a heroin alcohol addiction and he had kicked it and now he's like super successful and I remember telling her that and uh, so decided to start drinking again um, I won't say it ever got as bad as it did when I was in San Francisco um, the feelings were definitely the same I think the only thing that saved me here in Texas were the, the liquor laws um, and I, I don't think the drugs were as strong but it was just still this like slow decline where I'm starting to do the same things again, where I'm pretending like everything's good to the outside world, but it's not, but I'm, I'm so alone. I kept having these failed relationships where I'd entered relationships with these women and those were my solutions again. But putting these people in these, where they don't even know that they're trying to be a solution for my alcoholism, where I'm just hiding it from them even more. So I'm just secluding myself even more because I'm having to be even more fake. Uh, so I guess that all came to a head when I got my second DWI a uh, little over two years ago. It was right before Thanksgiving. And I am so grateful for Austin PD for pulling me over, for taking away my physical freedom. I needed to be, I needed punishment to change my life. Uh, 
I needed it. I, that's the only thing that was going to derail me because I think I had just succumbed to a feeling of apathy where it was just like, this is how it's going to be. I'm just going to continue continue to be mediocre and not follow up and do the things that I want to do. And this is, this is just my existence. This is how it's going to be. Uh, but I saw the video from when I got – uh, pulled over. I actually wasn't that drunk, but uh, I was saying my life is over. Uh, my life is over. I kept repeating that my life is over. And uh, yeah, that was right. That that chapter of my life was over. So I had already decided when I was in jail, I was going to drink one more time the night after. And uh, I followed up on that. Again, I had I had also decided that I was not going to come clean to my parents or to my family and friends about the fact that I was using drugs as well. I was going to give them the half truth to still maintain some sort of decency. Uh, so I got really drunk and that was, I'd say one of the only really good things that alcohol has done for me was that last time is that I broke down. I broke down and I told, first I told my best friend everything and then I called my mom and I told her everything. I left nothing out and I told them that I was done that I was done living that life um, and I haven't had a drink ever since so you know that was I'd say that was the only blessing like you know they say alcohol sometimes you know helps you bring the truth out um, I think that was so important for me was to learn how to be transparent how to be honest and how to be real that was the first step so I came straight to Bolden the next day uh, I got sober for about a month here. Um, I had already decided that I was going to go to rehab. I called a rehab center the day after I got uh, my DWI. I got into Austin recovery, but it wasn't until a month after I um, my arrest. And I remember when I was about to check into rehab, the insurance company called me and said, we're not going to be covering your your rehab because you've been sober for 30 days and I was like I will I will go drink right now <laughs> I, will, I will take a picture we can FaceTime at the bar like I can like I'll go to I'll go to 12th and Chicone too you can see what goes on over there uh <laughs> but uh luckily they paid for it I was I was scared. I was worried that I wasn't going to have money or that everything wasn't going to work out. But going to rehab was the best decision of my entire life. Stepping away and working on myself for 30 days, uh, there was a fire within me to get just to, to stop living the way that I had lived and just take direction and just give up the, the judgment. Um, I had the judgment in the beginning. And then I realized like how much that was keeping me from other people. Like there was a guy who he'd been in and out of institutions and he was like fired up about AA. And for some reason, I, I wanted to establish myself as better than him. And we had like a big heart to heart. And I realized like this judgment is not suiting me. So that was like the biggest, the, the first lesson in rehab. Uh, I went to rehab to stop drinking and drugging and I discovered spirituality. That was the best gift for me of this program because it's giving it's given me peace of mind. Faith allows me to live more in love and less in fear because everything that I did in the past was fueled by fear, all of my actions. I didn't know what love was. I didn't know 
I was scared to be loved. I was scared to love. I didn't know what any of that meant. And that's that's kind of what the, the steps were for. So like I said, I came into rehab with this fire under my ass. Like I was ready to do, ready to do work. So um, steps one through three, we were kind of led through that by the rehab center. Uh, step four, uh, Chris Gates had an awesome workshop, kind of showed how everything was done. So <coughs> I felt very strong. I did my fourth step. Um, I was not there to bullshit and play ping pong. Like I was there to get sober. Um, a lot of people were there to dick off and whatever. That's that's their program. But I was done living that way of life. And I, I there was something inside of me that that had this fire and this fuel to work hard to to get here. Uh, but anyways, I did my I did my four step, wrote it out. I had made plans to do it with somebody, and they ended up not showing up. And the next day, uh, Shay shows up for a meeting and he looked really familiar. And I was just like, hey, will you be my sponsor and hear my fifth step? And we figured out that he worked at this or he worked out at the same gym that I used to go work out at. So we already had we'd already crossed paths, ironically. Um, but yeah, like that was like. That was so big for me because I, I was so used to men in my life. Uh, I guess the just people in my life failing me and men, you know, my father, like I said, I didn't have a lot of trust in him. Um, but Shay showed up and, uh, and heard my fifth step. And I remember it being such a powerful moment. Um, one of the things that I didn't realize was how all of my behaviors were tied together. I didn't see, I was unable to see the theme and that was what having a sponsor helped me with was being able to see the theme in all my behaviors and how they're all tied together. And then, so I told him my fifth step and, and then I went out, there was a pond out there out in nature and it was, it was beautiful. I said the prayer on, on page 76 and, uh, I just let all that shit go. I let all of those things, all of those, all of those behaviors and habits that I had done in the past, I let it go. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, it, it was, I mean, some people say they have a burning bush moment. Some people say they don't. I would say that I definitely had like a burning bush moment right then. Um, I said that prayer, it was like a sunset some like beautiful wild birds flew by. I, I remember re- even breaking into song. Like, like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it was like literally like not of me, you know? And that's like really what makes me believe like that there's something, that there is something in this universe that is, that is greater than me. Um, the song I sang was uh, Bob Marley redemption song. And I went right to the lyrics where he says, uh, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None, none but ourselves can free our mind. And I cried. Mm-hmm. I cried. I was so scared to cry before. I was, like I said, I told you guys from the beginning that I was so afraid to have emotions, but I cried and it wasn't like a cry necessarily from pain, from physical pain or even emotional pain. It was a, it was a, it was emotions and and crying from emotional relief. It was it was like that load had finally been lifted off my back and I didn't have to carry that along with me anymore. Uh, so 
I finished rehab. I did I did my 30 days there. Um, came back to the to the real world. Luckily, my job was still there. Uh, I instantly kept the work going, though. Um, I had written a few letters just to like kind of test out my amends for eight and nine. And when I got out, uh, I was talking to Shay about amends, and he's like, "What's the hardest one that you got?" And so. That was the first one that I did, and it was not it was not fun. Um, I basically had gotten fired from a job for very gently threatening a chef. Yeah, I very kindly threatened him. I, I said to him, if uh, if you continue speaking as such, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'd say it was a pretty nice threat. Uh, but this was after a night of you know, drinking and drugging. I got back to work at eight in the morning and yeah, threatened him, got fired, whatever. He, he had his part, has nothing to do with it. It's about me. Uh, so I went in there and I could see him in the back of the restaurant. I told the hostess like what my intent was and uh, he wouldn't hear me. He looked up and he said, no. And so I walked out and I was, I was fucking pissed. I was really, really heated and uh I remember calling Shay and, you know, he's saying, you know, that's, that's not your pain that you have to live with, you know, like he's still angry over a year later, you know, you don't have to live with that, you know? So I wrote the chef an email talking only about my part and let that go. Um, I also started doing nightlies around that time where nearly every single night I would send my sponsor, I would send Shay a nightly. And uh, that was something that for me, I think really started to help build my self-esteem. And that's something that I never had. Um, I always displayed a very false confidence. I think there's a difference between confidence and self-esteem. I think confidence is what you present and how you carry yourself, but self-esteem is how you really feel. And you know how you really feel. Like you can pretend like you're, the, the biggest dog in the room but if you're just a little baby dog like you know you're a little baby dog uh, and I was a little baby dog most of my life I'm still working I'm still working on it uh, but anyways uh, yeah so writing out these nightlies every day reflecting on my my day in a constructive manner uh, these were the small little esteemable actions that led to to having self-esteem and actually believing myself and loving myself uh, I started sponsoring pretty soon after leaving rehab. I think I had about five or six months of sobriety. Um, I started sponsoring and I think that's been one of the, the most fruitful and uh, important parts of my sobriety because it's like teaching or not teaching, but I guess leading people through the steps the same way that I was led through the steps. Um, and I always tell people that I sponsor that I'm, I'm, I'm your peer, you know, I'm not better than anybody else in this program. Uh, I don't think that time has anything to do with it. I really don't think it does. I think you can have 33 years of sobriety and not be practicing the principles in all of your affairs. Regardless, it's not, it's not my, my deal to judge, you know. Um, the sponsoring thing has been, has been huge, though. And uh, I'd say <clears throat> sobriety for me has been has been mostly pretty awesome. Um, I took a dip probably about six, 
months ago, uh, I was in a relationship. We were dating for about a year and a half, most of my entire sobriety. And uh, she was dealing with a lot of pain, I guess just emotional pain in her life. And I started to focus on her too much and started to neglect my sobriety. And in focusing on her, I, like I said, neglected my program. And the first, the, the first sign of that is that I started acting out in ways, I started to not practice the principles in all of my affairs. That started off with telling little lies and then bigger lies. Um, eventually we broke up, so I had to, I had to sit with that. I had to feel that, um, which has been hard, which has been hard. But at the same time, like I haven't wanted to drink. So that's been a blessing. It was also a blessing that, like I said, I got to learn that I wouldn't say I I was close to drinking after doing that sort of behavior, but I know that all in all, I want to feel good. I think that's, that's the common theme of everybody. We just want to feel good. And it's like, the steps gives me a, a tool set to help me feel good over a long period of time. And I won't always feel good, but it's, it's the tools that help me face shitty situations in life. Because like I said, in the past, I would say I did not know how to react to life. I'm looking for the quick fix or I'm looking to just forget about it. Now it's like, I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to face it. Um, and it's never alone too. That's, that's another thing that's been a, a, a benefit of these rooms is just always having, always having people by your side. Um, like that is just the, the most beautiful thing about this is that I literally can't go anywhere in Austin without like seeing people in my tribe. And it just, it just makes me feel safe all the time. Like I remember one time I saw Chris, I was my dad wanted to go to this old barbecue spot on the east side. My dad lived in Austin many years ago, and that barbecue spot is at 12th and Chicone. Nothing good happens over there. And so I'm with my, my dad and my little brother, my mom, and I'm like, oh God, somebody's gonna recognize me. And Chris is there painting a mural. And it was just like, man, there's so many situations. I could just continue to list off all these situations where um, it just makes me believe that there's there's something here with me and it's helping me and it's carrying me. Um, yeah, so my life now, it's a lot better than the way things were then. Um, I think pretending to be positive and happy for so long has helped my transition to like when shit actually is going good and I'm, I am a positive person. I think that is one of my strengths. It can be a weakness if I'm not attending to the shit in my life. Uh, but now, you know, kind of how Rebecca said, like I, there was, uh, something that happened on, there was a murder that happened at the post apartments and I got interviewed to be on the news about it. And I said something spiritual about love. They tried to like twist it into fear. Anyways, they posted on the news and it was all like fear based. They cut my words. And, uh, so that inspired me to every day now, um, I do a backflip and I, I share something positive with the world um, on my Instagram. And it's like, I would never have done anything like this in the past. I would never have the capacity to do anything for X amount of days. You know, I would always give up at some point. Um, but anyways, I guess that's, that's pretty much my story. Um, I'm so, honestly, I'm so grateful for this program, for everybody here. And uh, 
Thank you for listening. <laughs>